In by Simicas, it's in! Virgil van Dijk at the bottom of a pile of red joy! In extra time, it's been Klopp's kids against the blue billion-pound bottle jobs. Liverpool absolutely sensational, those young players. But for Chelsea, I've got no sympathy whatsoever. And welcome to the Sound of Football podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. Yes, back after the excitement of the League Cup final yesterday. Oh, riveting stuff, riveting. And wasn't as terrible as I predicted it was going to be. Yeah, I thought another Chelsea-Liverpool final. Oh, who wants to see another one of those? Who wanted to see that? And Jan, it was almost another two hours without a goal again, wasn't it? It almost, well... There were some ghost goals in there, though, weren't there? Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there, um, but no, I thought it was a really entertaining game. I, I, I very much enjoyed it. As I even watched it with a Chelsea fan, which made it all the more sweeter. So he wasn't there. He decided that he'd seen enough of that crap as well and decided <laughs> not to go. He did, he did switch it off right at the end of the game. Refused to. <laughs> I had to ask nicely if I could watch the trophy being presented. We compromised with the visuals on, but the sound off. Um, but no, I thought I thought it was a, a really good final. I, I thought it was lively. Um, it had incidents. I thought both teams played fairly well, very well, in fact. Uh, there was some controversy in there. Genev dropped in with these billion-pound bottle jobs at the end, which was interesting. But um, it added to the narrative. Yeah, I thought it was a great final. Ah, yeah, uh, Terry, I can see you there in mid-yawn, and uh, and uh, welcome along to the show. Um, what about you? What did you think of it? Did you like the idea that there were two reasonable-looking goals chalked off for no apparent reason? Um, yeah, I mean, I always enjoy a little bit of a VAR controversy because it sort of like gets the hackles going, you know me, I'm rare against that kind of thing. I thought it was an otherwise uh, average game, but, but, but you know, in fairness, I think, you know, with cup finals being what they are and given Liverpool's injuries and given Chelsea's general disjointedness, it, uh, you know, I think they made a, a fairly good stab of having a watchable game of football. And I think that it actually was that. Full disclosure, I did switch over at 4.30 to put the Dortmund game on, so I wasn't fully engaged with it. Even if in a terrific game, I still would have done that because Dortmund. Mm. So it's nice to see, uh, you know, the League Cup. Every time the League Cup comes around, it's like, ooh, what do we do? What are we going to do about the League Cup? Ooh. There was an article, I think, in The Athletic, which is all like going, ooh, League Cup, what's going to happen to it? And, um, you know, I think it went Liverpool won, and obviously the narrative of, Klopp's kids versus the Chelsea's billionaires and all of that stuff. I thought it's quite fun. Not quite as dramatic as that. There's still quite a lot of money on that pitch in Liverpool players. You know, let's not forget that. But yeah, nice moment, I think, for their youngsters. A great moment in such an early stage in your career to be able to lift a major trophy. And obviously huge amounts of emotion involved because Klopp is leaving. And at the very least, he's got something to take with him on his leaving due. So that'll be quite nice. Um, and with the prospect of more to come. So yeah, I thought it had plenty of emotion, plenty of narrative. You know, the fact that Gary Neville felt it was important to drop in, 
he foreshadowed his billionaire comments in I think in the halfway stage because he knew perfectly well that Chelsea were not going to go hell for leather and yet he said that that's exactly what they should do I feel that's a bit disingenuous as an analyst as a pundit when you know that you know how a team's going to play and then you express a view they should play completely differently so that then at the end of that game I can then go off on some kind of rant and criticize them and, and create talking points uh, because you know he knew that that Chelsea would probably be cagey that they wouldn't go hell for leather Liverpool are far too dangerous to just suddenly chuck the kitchen sink at them to try and win a trophy completely false narrative but obviously works very well because people still talking about it I mean I've literally just talked about it for the last 30 seconds <laughs> I think he let himself down a bit with that considering how articulate he usually is when he comes out and talks about a range of issues from politics right the way through to football for him to be you know a supposed independent part of the broadcasting team I think that was a bit in poor taste if I'm honest with you and I think it's great that podcasts like ours end up analysing the analysts more than we do the actual football matches. <laughs> well, that's their job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could analyse the football, but I mean, all that would happen is we'd have to paint quite florid pictures because obviously we don't have any pictures. It's all just talking about it. You see, the, it's, it's more like, like an organised 606, isn't it, really, this? <laughs> well, you say organised. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know. Yeah, it's a 606, but without the phone-ins and without the public. Yeah. The listeners kept at a safe distance. Of course, yes. I think our listeners are great because they don't tend to engage very much from with us. <laughs> and yet they keep listening. So they know they know their place and, um, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's great. <laughs> well, they don't want to be wasting time talking to us. And they know that, you know, we're going, oh, thanks for getting in touch but, we know the deal here. We just put our voice out and then they listen to it while they're walking the dog or sat on the train going to work or something like that. And and they're probably listening to us at probably one and a half speed or something like that. So we sound really urgent. <laughs> if you're listening to us right now <laughs> on very fast speed, stop it because... You're going to miss all of our really intense takes because timing is everything. Isn't that right, Terry? Yes. <laughs> oh, I can't keep that up for long. I really can't. But uh, yeah, well played to you if you are listening at a super fast speed. Uh, but also as well, well played for you if you're listening at, at the slower pace because we've just come up with stuff that is just so intense that you can't actually take it at the speed that we're actually bringing out to you. All are welcome here. Do you listen to your podcast super fast, Jan? No, never. I can't think of anything worse than doing that because everyone sounds, you know, like Smurfs or like they've been, you know, when you take a mouthful of helium, you inhale helium from a balloon. They don't. Unless they sound like Smurfs to begin with, they don't, because it's clever enough to stop that from happening. <laughs> yeah, and you're so analogue. It's like it's not like a record player where you just switch it up to 45. It's like, it no, they, they figured out a way of keeping the pitch of the voice the same, but just like speeding it up. Gee, I tell you what, big tech coming in and ruining everything. Ru ruining my ticks. <laughs> uh, okay, well, should we talk very, very briefly yes. about big tech? Because obviously VAR did have a couple of controversial decisions there. Yeah, and what did you think of those two goals that were called off? There was a, a paper-thin offside that Chelsea scored. 
that they didn't dwell on because they could tell it was really, really tight. And mm. then there was uh, Van Dyke's first goal as well, which I think was officially offside in the end, that one. Yeah, it was because Endor was standing in an offside position and then subsequently interfered with play yeah. by blocking Colwell. You know, without VAR, those goals would have just stood. It was so, you know, good for VAR. Well done. Um, but I think my only criticism really was the Jackson ghost goal. You couldn't really tell from the angle. It wasn't yeah. uh, like a linesman's eye view, if you like. You couldn't really tell if it was offside or not. It looked so, so close. But then at halftime or later in the game, they did show it was quite clear that he was offside. So, yeah, you know, again, good call. And that's what VAR was meant to do, get the big calls right. And it just so happens that they did get it right, like a stopped clock that is right twice a day. Uh, but do we need the right decisions, Terry? Or would it have gone perfectly well without it? I, I suppose really what would have happened is Van Dyke's goal would probably have stood. And there was a flag for the Chelsea goal, so that would have been called off anyway. Exactly. I mean, there's an argument about what offside should be, but um, with the laws being as they are, Nicholas Jackson was totally offside. The ref, the linesman spotted it, called it, got it bang on, absolutely right. VAR just rubber stamped it. All good, nothing bad there, as far as I'm concerned. Beyond the existence of VAR, which we've yabba 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 gone into a lot. Uh, yeah, in those offside position, that is totally not something that would have happened. I think before VAR, that would have, I think that goal would have stood. I think there might have been a bit of complaint, perhaps about locking and interfering with play and all of that stuff. But I suspect that actually, in a, in a different era, that would have been an absolutely fine goal. And I think that there are people who uh, are uncertain about the legality of that decision and maybe are not as au fait with the laws as maybe they could be i don't know i don't want to judge but uh yeah i think the problem is obviously it's a massive buzzkill when a when a linesman calls an offside and then var either overturns it or clarifies it it's easier to stomach because the linesman's called it on the pitch and so it's already sort of like that moment is like been sucked out because uh, okay because they've disallowed the goal Let's see if it should have been disallowed. But when a really good goal like that happens and then the celebration that happens afterwards, it is shit to happen. And I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not saying, oh, man, you know, stop going on about VAR. But it is kind of shit. On Saturday in the Bundesliga, Werder Bremen played Darmstadt. And the Werder Bremen keeper in the last dying seconds of injury time misplaced a pass and it went straight to the Darmstadt attacker. And he scored. And everyone went mad. Darmstadt are not very good and uh, need the points. And they thought that they had won this game. So basically, poor clearance. Striker picks it up, puts it away. Everyone goes mad. The coaches and subs are on the pitch. Everyone's going absolutely mad about this. Turns out that it's hit his hand. His hand, uh, for the benefit of the listeners who won't be able to see this, I'm holding my hand just above my tits. His hand was literally there when the ball hit him, his arm, and it effectively and that helped him control the ball. If it had come off his, if his hands had been to his side, then it would have come off his chest. That's basically what happened here. It was a complete and utter accident. Um, so VAR disallowed it because, as the laws say, that even if you accidentally touch the ball, if it then results in a goal in that same action, then it has to be called handball. And that was harsh. And it was a similar kind of vibe that happened here. Feels like it's a technicality rather than an injustice that's been done. I feel that that's the difference, I think, between modern officiating is that it's excessively bureaucratic 
and not in the spirit of the game. But that, of course, is surely an opinion. Mm. It just comes back to the, what we've said over and over again about these things. Is I think many people didn't realise how black and white certain aspects were going to be and what the unintended consequences would be of that entering the game. It's also made people look at the whole aspect of consistency and common sense. Common sense has no place in the world with VAR. There is absolutely no place for it. So you do need rules that seem weirdly pernickety, things that are spelt out. This whole thing about if it accidentally hits your arm while you're attacking, then it is automatically not a goal. We've mentioned before on the podcast, I think a goal that Alexis Sanchez scored for Arsenal, I think against Hull, that bounced off his arm and went in accidentally, but Mm. it did. And you shouldn't be scoring goals like that. But when there's still a bit of football left in there and you've not controlled it, it's been in in a natural position, that feels like it's not football. It feels more like you're applying a rule of a game that has forgotten what the game is about. These are things that, as well, that I think in certain parts of the world you'll be able to look at that and think, well, yes, of course, it's his hand. That's how it should be. This is... And I think in other parts of the world you may think, well, okay, that just seems ridiculous. We have said this in the past, haven't we, Graham? We've suggested that perhaps there's a North European bias in IFAB. Yeah. And that actually the idea of trickery and hoodwinkery and, you know, as long as it's harmless and no one gets hurt, that is, is actually part of the game in certain parts of the world and that that spirit should be infused into our rulemaking and lawmaking and that there's too many serious Northern Europeans with bad weather <laughs> and, bad, and, bad, and bad moods mm. making these kind of decisions. But anyway. Well, there's just a lot of people making decisions about a lot of things in football. Uh, a few years back, someone had the bright idea of getting rid of replays in the later rounds of the FA Cup. <laughs> and then they switched the fifth round to midweek, effectively making oh. it make them all replays because now you've got like just one tie they're playing in the middle of the week it's like there was like a load of draws on saturday and no one told any, anyone about them and now we've got the replays coming up this week because yeah we've got all of the fifth round games are being played this week all of them under the lights all of them with the threat of penalties at the end i think at least they've got extra time They've got that not going straight to penalties, like some weird county cup game in non-league or something like that. So we've still got that to look forward to. This is just them ripping up our traditions, isn't it? Trampling on them and putting them in a big, horrible, muddy puddle, just destroying the game, isn't it? The game's gone, isn't it, Terry? The game has literally gone. (laughs) It's gone in a big, muddy puddle and it's been ripped up, hasn't it? The sanctity of the fifth round is gone, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, down with this sort of thing. Well, yeah, okay. The the FA Cup, obviously, hugely important competition. And uh, one of the reasons why it's so important is because it gets played on a Saturday. So it gets played in that peak time slot. Great for broadcasters. Uh, Not so good for schedulers is, is the only thing. And so I guess there's this sort of feeling that you know, because there is an awful lot of football that's played, it is important to make some kind of compromises. I don't actually think that having the fifth round is that bad because I think most of the best teams are kind of in the fifth round by that point. There are, this year, there's some exceptions, Maidstone United. They could probably have done with maybe like 
the possibility of a re- replay and an extra revenue that comes with the possibility of a fifth round replay. And they will have been denied that. And that is that is a real shame. But in general, you'd have to say that by the time you get into the fifth round, you're getting sort of like down to professional clubs that probably would benefit from not having a replay. You know, whether that be Premier League clubs who are going for the championship or fighting for Europe or fighting against relegation, or indeed the higher level championship clubs that are looking at the playoffs and thinking about the running and thinking, well, actually, do you know what? We don't necessarily need that. And, and maybe it kind of helps it out. Also, like, Floodlit football's great. Everyone loves Floodlit football. And, you know, I would imagine that there's capacity for high drama in this if it's going to go to penalties. I, I imagine that it, it could actually be quite exciting. So uh, while, I, in principle, I am opposed to this, I, I can certainly see that there are benefits in doing so. I don't think it's necessarily ruining everything. And, I mean, I think the problem is, is that people look at the what the FA Cup has become and continues to become, and they worry that this is was not the thin end of the wedge. It's actually, you know, we had the thin end of the wedge quite some time ago. Um, that we're now moving further and further up the wedge. Is this how this analogy yes, works? Yes, yes, yes. This is exactly know. how this analogy works. <laughs> I guess I just need to kind of just double down, Terry. No, not just double down, <laughs> like, where the where are you going with this stuff, you idiot? Um, but I think that that's that's how it works. So I can understand people's uh, natural cynicism towards it, and we've said many, many times the absolutely vital role that the FA Cup plays. But I think there's a number of things that we can do to restore the FA Cup's place. I don't think we need to worry too much about necessarily things like hosting the games in midweek if you know everybody involved thinks actually it's not not too bad an idea. The German Cup is an amazing competition, as I said before, and the only time it's ever played on a Saturday is at the final. Mm. Oh, apart from the first round. First round and the final round are played on at weekends. Well, yeah, your people. Is Terry right? Are you worried for the FA Cup? Do you think that this is the middle of the wedge? I, I am, people. Thanks for thanks for noticing. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, now. I um, I at first I thought that this was a terrible idea because it's the FA Cup and it's an old institution. It's been around forever. It's the oldest competition in the world, and it shouldn't be messed with. But if I think about what the FA Cup means and think about you know, memories I have of it. I think about the Wembley Towers and, um, you know, the the all-day build-up on the final day and things like that, which was great, but Wembley wasn't. <laughs> it was a god-awful place, and it's much better now that it's been rebuilt. The FA Cup has got a lot of competition nowadays. It used to be the biggest show in town, and now it's got Premier League with all its stars in it. You've got the Champions League, which, as Terry said, is played under the lights and all of the other European competitions as well, and and played during the week. And it's really exciting, and it, and it gives you more stuff to watch during the week. And I think that it needs to kind of throw off the shackles of its past a little bit and evolve and, and grow. Otherwise, it will ultimately become completely irrelevant so if it wants to be um up there and to be fair you know it's it's lost that particular battle that the premier league and the, and the champions league are now more prestigious which it, and I, I i don't take any joy in saying that at all but it's still a relevant and, and very important competition for many reasons as terry said because of grassroots football gets a lot of money out of it and it's do or die um because you get one shot at it and you're out I think it's a good thing that it's looking to evolve and um, I think it should open itself up to other ideas as it goes forward so it can maintain its prestige. Other ideas, Terry. See, that's where the problem starts, isn't it? We've got a new broadcaster now. New broadcasters, whenever they turn up with a big pile of cash, 
they've always come up with some great ideas, haven't they? And said, I'll tell you what, this will put some life in the old dog. What do you think about this new deal? It's going to go back beyond a paywall again, isn't it, the FA Cup? That can't be good, can it? Of, of all the things to be worried about the future of the FA Cup, it's the latest domestic TV deal that I think is of the, of the greatest concern. And I think that if we were all Germans, we'd be chucking tennis balls onto the pitch and chocolate coins and kicking up fuss. But the thing is, we're English, and so we would have been beaten up by security guards beforehand and had everything of that taken away from us. So that's out. We've had a paywall before. It was with Sky. And so I know if I remember rightly, Sky had it and they would show the final. They show every round. They show a number of games. And then they had a sub-licensing deal with a free-to-air broadcaster. And I think it was the BBC or it could have been ITV or it could have been both. And one or two games was shown and every week for every round. And it might well be that that's probably what it is again. And I don't remember. We didn't have social media back then. So maybe people were pissed off, but they didn't have a platform with which to express their pissed offedness. But I don't remember it being massively controversial or that happening. Um, and then obviously when Sky like lost interest in it or decided not to go forward with it, it kind of went back to that kind of free to air model. And, you know, it's been pretty successful. One of the reasons why the FA Cup continues to have its problems is because it is free to air. I think it is important to maintain that. The final is protected by law here in the UK. You, that must be shown free to air. Um, but what worries me is TNT, because TNT basically is BT Sports. When BT Sport took over the uh, the Champions League, they sort of said they have said that, that the Champions League final would be free to air. But actually, really, all that means is that they just whack it up on a YouTube channel for people to watch. And for most people, that's not free to air at all. That's not in the spirit, I think. And I'm worried that that's what will happen, is that TNT will not be able to do a deal with a national broadcaster and will end up just like slinging it up on the internet. And that would severely, I think, um, reduce um, the number of eyeballs on the competition. And although the cash payout is probably very lucrative, in the longer term, the worry is, is that, yeah, that the competition disappears from the, or is diminished in the public consciousness and is only followed by guys like us, football fans, when in fact the FA Cup is supposed to be an institution followed by people from outside football and outside the game. That's why it's so special and that's why it's so lucrative um, as well. So I'm a bit worried about how that plays out. They have said they will make an announcement shortly about who the free-to-air partner is. And I hope that that's at least two, if not three games per round, and that there's plenty of free-to-air coverage of the FA Cup. But that's the bigger area of concern for the future of the cup than hosting the fifth round on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, now that the Champions League final's on a Saturday, that does squeeze the final of the FA Cup. Do you, can you see a, a point sometime in the near future where they decide, ah, we'll, we'll put this midweek as well? You know, it was good <sighs> enough for the European Cup for years. Come on. Yeah. Well, you say that, I mean... It, it seems something like that would be completely intolerable, doesn't it? <laughs> the FA Cup final should be at the weekend. But, I mean, why not move it to a Sunday and make it the whole day your own? It just feels like it needs room to breathe, doesn't it? And having it, I think, on the same day as uh, a set of Premier League fixtures is just not the way to go. It used to be the week after the season finished, didn't it? It feels like it should have a, a standalone. But um, I can't say that and stand behind the comments I made before. It, they need to look at it. What's going to work best for the competition? 
And if that means putting it on on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday night to make more of a spectacle, if that indeed is what they can deliver, then let's look at it. I think the most important thing is the FA Cup survives as a premium competition. That should be the objective. So anything that supports that, even if it involves throwing away tradition, should be at least looked at, I think. Mm. Yeah, Terry, it is a later kickoff now. It's not three o'clock on a Saturday anymore because it suits the scheduling better. It actually makes the coverage better because if you kick off a game at three o'clock at Wembley, half the pitch is covered in shadow throughout the game. So it does work. But but can you see the game being moved to midweek or even a Sunday, as, as Jan just said? I'd be very surprised if they moved it to a midweek because or even though I appreciate that match-going fans tend to have not necessarily be a priority for these people, the idea of putting an FA Cup final on a weekday could conceivably result in unsold tickets depending on who gets uh, to the final because i mean some people just will not be able to make that journey the reason why that saturday three is still such a popular time slot is because it's relatively speaking it's the most convenient time slot i think for people who work traditional hours monday to friday and go to football matches it's the day that they know they're most likely to not be able to work and at a com- relatively convenient time so they can get stuff done in the morning go to the football in the afternoon, go to the pub afterwards. That is something that needs to be recognised and cherished. Uh, I'd be very, very disappointed, I think, if that was to move away from a Saturday. And I appreciate, obviously, and you're right what you say about the television coverage and about Wembley. Wembley obviously was, when it was originally built, it wasn't really built with the idea about TV coverage. They hadn't considered anything that. But then when it was rebuilt, of course, it's rebuilt along the, on the same plot. So it still has that difficulty. So, yeah, I can see why from a television point of view, it does work better to put it there. But the amount of times people complain about the poor railway services mm. in this country and not having trains back for people who are traveling back to the north, uh, those are not necessarily arguments that the FA have to answer. Those are arguments for the train companies. But I can certainly envisage them moving it to Sunday like the League Cup is, perhaps with a view to saying, well, look, if we embargo all the other competitive fixtures and we just have the FA Cup on the Sunday as opposed to Saturday and then trying to compete with that. And how would that go? Uh, You know what, Graham? I would like to know people's opinions on that. I don't mean listeners. I've made my view quite clear on listeners' opinions. But in all seriousness, I would like, I think fans should be consulted on this about what they think of the idea of moving that final to a Sunday. Do they think that that would be a good idea? Would it work for them? You know, and let's try and get some dialogue going. But that's just that just doesn't happen in a lot of times in cases in football, not just in England, but elsewhere as well. Find it, have a consultation process and say, well, you know, does, is there some value in moving this now to a Sunday under these conditions? And would that work? And then let, let's see what people actually think. Well, it's just crazy enough to work talking to the general public i mean yeah not you listeners don't worry we're not going to insist that you engage with us yeah only if you want to and really there is absolutely no pressure for you to do that at all uh yeah i think i handled that okay guys um or else you know instead of like just sitting around the table and talking and coming up with ideas why don't they bring the tennis balls and the chocolate coins and the remote control cars with pyro sticking out the top because it did work in germany didn't it it did work in Germany. And the reason why, of course, is because they don't have 50 plus one in England. Mm. And so we would not be there. It would not be possible to bring that stuff into grounds because security would just simply confiscate. I was 
massively overstating things when I suggested being beaten up. That was unkind and un- unworthy. But the conditions exist in Germany for those kind of protests to happen because of 50 plus one. Because the fans majority own the stadium and they get to dictate to a certain degree the conditions with which they enter the stadium and what they can and cannot do in that stadium. Obviously, they can't break the law, but they can bring in chocolate coins and tennis balls and remote control cars with pyro sticking out them and have a protest and disrupt things and in a lawful and, and democratic manner. And that's what they did over the last few weeks when the DFL were trying to attract a bidder from a in- private equity investment firm. And there were a number of different bidders to purchase a small stake in the media rights for the DFL and their expertise in order to help them grow what they consider to be grow the game. And when they say grow the game, they mean grow their pot of money so that they've got as much money one day as maybe La Liga, Serie A or the Premier League in terms of overseas rights. Uh, the fans were objected to this and the ultra scene, they all coordinated between them and the clubs. They objected to this. They staged these protests. And last week, um, the DFL conceded that this wasn't going to work and they scotched the deal. And it looks like it is now completely dead. But I understand from a friend of mine who is closer to these things that it is dead. There, there is no, this is not going to be dressed up again and, and rehashed and tried to work through again. So it does work, uh, that kind of protest. But as I said, it works because of the 50 plus one rule, giving the supporters the license to be able to intervene in that way. Those conditions don't exist here in England. And so therefore, it would not be possible to do. It would be seen as rubble, rubble rousing and troublemaking and treated accordingly, I suspect. Hmm. You ask the Everton fans that, I bet they've got a few ideas up their sleeve, haven't they? To get these six points back as well. Well, yes. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that the, any protests that they put in place uh, led to that. But yeah, on appeal, Everton are, are now down to a six-point deduction when it was 10. So that puts them two or three places up the league. So, I mean, I had a feeling and we said ourselves, didn't we, when they had the 10-point deduction that they'd probably still stay up. And I think that, you know, this is, this is just um, helping that cause even more. Let's see what happens when we eventually get round to City's punishment, if indeed they've done anything wrong. But just a point on fan protests there in the UK, I, I take your point, Terry, about, sorry, in Germany, um, I take your point about the, the 50 plus one thing, which has a massive impact on this. But aside from some notable um, protests that I'm thinking of the ones at Manchester United, there really is, I mean, we're not a nation of protesters. You see what happens in France when they put up the price of milk or something. Um, the farmers go crazy. I'm, I, and I don't mean to belittle, I, that was an example, I don't mean to belittle mm-hmm. what the, the French farmers and, and, and German farmers have been at it as well do, because it actually fundamentally changes government policy. We don't do that here. And all, as well as that, we've got a lot of laws that are waiting to come in to stop us from doing any kind of protesting whatsoever. Um, so I think it's been quite, well, it hasn't been beaten out of the British people metaphorically it has um so i think it's a, it's a shame because it, i think the way that it was done in germany was was humorous it got the message across without any kind of violence without any the need for the, the police to get involved i mean maybe there was there was some isolated incidents i don't know but it seemed by and large it was in it was it was all done in good faith and good humor and i think there are uh, if you look at the way that the 
for example, the Premier League is now so wealthy, so rich, so difficult to get into and stay into. Clubs are burning themselves out quite literally to get in there. I speak to more and more football fans who've got clubs, who are sport clubs that are in the Premier League, talking about being bored with the competition. Mm. and talking to you know I talk about the fact that you get two or three games a week in the championship and you look at the table though it's tightening up a little bit now you know it's it's a really interesting competition and I think that the, the Premier League's losing that and I think that it would be a shame if football fans didn't try and do something about the fact that it's owned by you know nation states oligarchs hedge funds and things like that that's really taking the, you know, the, the roots out of the game. It really is, and it's making, it's dissociating. I think the fans from from their own clubs. So I'd love to see something like that happen here. But I think the Brits, certainly the English, are, are far too conservative with a small C themselves to do anything about this. And I think that's a great shame. Pretty conservative with a large C as well. Well, yeah. that is true. I was trying to be a little bit more diplomatic um, historically, well, especially yeah, in football. Exactly. Football's really Tory when you yeah. look at it close enough. I agree, I agree. It's got to that time where we're going to start thinking about what we're going to be watching this week. What's going to get our backs up this week? Well, Terry, I mean, who cares who your opposition is this week for uh, Palace? Because you know, good times are here to stay, aren't they? Uh, indeed, it's a golden age, Graham. One that will never end. <laughs> <laughs> the, age of, the age of glass has come to the glaciers. The eagle is now the adler. <laughs> and all of that. <laughs> Away to Tottenham, though, uh, next weekend. It's not in the box set. Is it on the telly? <laughs> yeah, it's on the telly in the rest of the world. It's just not on the telly over here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, if you were a, for a criminal, you could watch it. Yeah, or if you live in another country, yeah. you can watch it too. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're a criminal in another country, you, <laughs> you can still totally watch, watch it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't. You've got two good reasons for watching that game. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a criminal. And I live in another country. <laughs> I feel we've been a bit down on our listeners. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's like a Stuart Lee gig, isn't it? It's been condescending to the audience. Yes. Well, that's because they're criminals and they live in other countries. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, but a great start. 3 0. All right. It was against Burnley, but come on. It's a, it's it was a great against start. Burnley. A We're at Burnley. a point, obviously, at a point of the season where it doesn't matter. The quality of the opposition, we just need to get those points necessary to keep ourselves in the division. Worry about the future when the future comes. These three points, it's done, it's dusted. Apparently, it was a great atmosphere there in the stadium. And as I said yes, last week, I'm absolutely delighted that Glasner is, is at the club. And I'm relieved that we were able to get a really positive performance and result, albeit again against a team that's poor with 11 men and even poorer with 10. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what's the news on Sunderland now? Because uh, they lost at the weekend, didn't they? Uh, have they got a new manager coming? Well, no. Um, so Mike Dodds is, uh, the plan is that he uh, will be in charge until the end of the season. Mike Dodds was part of the coaching uh, staff. He took over last time we sacked a manager. He takes over every time we sack a manager because we sack managers quite a lot. Um, so he's in. We lost to Swansea ultimately 2-1. Uh, poor first half, better second half. But, you know, it does make it three on the bounce that we lost. But, um, you know, I, I think we'll be fine. I've just written off this season, which I think was what the club's done. Um, I think it would be a whole other set of headaches if we were to get into the playoffs. So, um, yeah, so Mike Dodds has got it till the end of the season. Although Alex Neal was in the press saying he wouldn't rule out a return, uh, which I think would be the, the wrong thing to do. Well, let's see who we get in the summer. Indeed. 
Alex Neal, man alive. <laughs> Talk about buyer's remorse. Do you, you remember we, we were at the pub and watching Sunderland against Norwich before a, a Whiteleaf game, weren't we? And he'd gone off to Stoke to watch their game while he was still being paid still by Sunderland. Paid, yeah. um, so I think that's got to leave a bit yeah. of taste in the mouth of the of certainly the people who were paying his wages in, inside the club. So yeah, I think that'd be, I'd be surprised if that happened. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about the buyer's remorse, Terry, this weekend, Sir Jim Radcliffe takes his Man United side to the Etihad for the Manchester derby. They were all ready to have a big party, weren't they, on Saturday against Fulham, home to Fulham. Do you think that would have been a great party time, wouldn't it, really? But uh, oh, it didn't work out too well, did it? Do you think he's going to have the buyer's remorse when they get humped again on Sunday? Well, one can only hope, frankly, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a bad result, then he can go and get himself a beer. Maybe he could try and persuade the British taxpayer to pay for that beer as well. <laughs> Five minutes that guy has been there and he wants the taxpayer to foot the bill for their crappy stadium. Sod off, mate. Is that? That's not just yeah. a, that's a saying, thing. He's saying, oh, it's shocking that, we you know, that Wembley got funded by, you know, down south, Wembley, down south. London Stadium got funded by the taxpayer. I'm not altogether certain how true that is, actually. But and yet, you know, up here, there's no big stadium of the north. And obviously he's saying these things because, like, you know, the bill for redoing Old Trafford is probably astronomical, even though he's a billionaire and can probably easily afford it. He's saying how astronomical he is. And, and, and he's trying to stoke up a north-south divide and north-south animosity by saying them Londoners get their fancy stadiums, but they won't pay for my stadium. You know, I know he's only just arrived and it's not his fault that the Glazers massively underinvested in Manchester United's infrastructure. But nevertheless, he did his due diligence. He knew what he was buying or sort of buying. I mean, he's not even bought the club. I don't get I mean, I don't get it. He's not. But all he's bought is the club's problems. <laughs> he doesn't actually bought the club. The Glazers just like now they just like to go away. Wait, so I don't have to do anything. I don't even have to turn up and I still get my money. Yeah, that's right, mate. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I'll sign up for that. Where do I sign? Good grief. Matt, I would have loved to have seen that brochure. Yes. Here's Man United's problems. You two can have it. All you need to do is spend <laughs> X number of billions of pounds. Yeah, that is some PowerPoint deck, isn't it? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And as well as that, Manchester's not even in the north. It's, I know. It's not even in the north. The North Midlands, perhaps. But it's exactly. not even in the north. No, it's not in the north. No. Darlington. That's in the north. Yes. Barrow. That's in the north. Carlisle. Yeah. Carlisle. Yeah. Totally. One. Durham. Yeah. Yep. Well, City versus United is in our box set and it kicks off at 3.30 on Sunday afternoon and there'll be plenty of other games and if you want to find out which games we'll be covering, the seven games to take you from Friday to Sunday, then get along to sofpodcast.com and subscribe to the Weekend Box Set. Click on the link for the Weekend Box Set, put your email address in the little box there and hit subscribe and it will be in your inbox on Friday lunchtime. But that is all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sibley, from Jan Bill, and from Terry Bell, it's goodbye. 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 We are at Sound of Football on X, Blue Sky and Instagram, so feel free to get in touch there or head to our website, sofpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us.
mean, football has been described uh, like religion as an opiate. Yeah, because it's on all the time now, isn't it? So it doesn't have to even be your club. You can get in from a Monday and go, God, it was Monday. And there was Italian football on from five o'clock tonight. So you could watch football from when you got home right the way through to going to bed. And so you can distract yourself the whole time with it. You can indeed. It is. It distracts the proletariat from their historic destiny of workers' revolution. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it does. It's FA Cup fifth round week this week. (laughs) (laughs) We were just getting warmed up there. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I was just shutting you up. You did the right thing. You did the right thing. thing. (laughs) Otherwise, we're still here at 8 o'clock, aren't we? 8 o'clock tomorrow. (laughs) 